When it comes to theology, there is much more than we can cover. Theology is connected to everything. This is not just a theoretical study, or something educated seminary professors study and debate. No. This impacts every area of our lives. So, as we go through the Old Testament, we will see how God progressively reveals Himself to His creation, His people and everyone. There are numerous ways to study God's character, His power, love, holiness, wisdom, self-existence, sovereignty and more. For our study, we will explore how God reveals Himself one step at a time. A Creation We begin, in the beginning, God. This tells the reader much about God. He is self-existent, and eternal. There was never a time when God was not. There are some who believe God was created, or not eternal, and most children will ask, where did God come from? Yet, Scripture is very clear. He is the self-existent, and eternal God. He is self-sufficient. He doesn't need anything, nor anyone. In contrast to the pagan gods of the ancient Near East, the Greeks, Romans and others, God doesn't need people to survive. He is complete within Himself. This means He is everything He needs to be within Himself. This truth brings comfort and terror. It brings comfort to the believer, who recognizes he or she is nothing within themselves, and in great need of Him and His sufficiency, 2 Corinthians 3 5. But to the unbeliever, it brings a sense of fear, which it ought to, because of trying to think of who this God is, uncreated, eternal, self-existent and self-sufficient. Thoughts come into the mind of how to run away from this God, who may know something about me. Or how can I appease this God? This also confronts false teaching within the church that says that God needs me. Or God can't do anything apart from my faith. But the text doesn't stop there. This God spoke. In six days, He spoke nearly everything into existence. This tells us He is all-powerful, or as theologians say, omnipotent. This God is so powerful that He spoke. And it was. Omnipotence is not a name given to the sum of all power, but an attribute of a personal God whom we as Christians believe to be the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ and of all who believe on Him to life eternal. The worshipping man finds this knowledge a source of wonderful strength for his inner life. His faith rises to take the great leap upward into the fellowship of Him who can do whatever He wills to do, for whom nothing is hard or difficult because He possesses power absolute. 1. As some have said, God is the uncaused, cause. This is true. Regarding creation, one also learns this God is separate from His creation. He is transcendent. He is other, different from, and beyond His creation. Contrary to pantheism, which says all is God, or the New Age, or tribal religious beliefs and superstition, God is not part of, nor dependent on the creation itself. This also shows that He is omnipresent. He is everywhere, and not localized, contrary to the pagan gods in the ancient Near East, or in Eastern legends. He is not a God of the mountain, the sky, the water, etc. No. He is God and He is everywhere present at the same time. Then on day 6, God does something unique. He personally forms Adam, and later Eve, on the same day. In contrast to the rest of creation, God did not speak Adam and Eve into existence. No. He personally formed them, in His image and brought them together, Genesis 1 27 2-7-8, 18-25. This shows God is not only creative, but personal. There are many religions in the world and history that believe in a God that is not personal, but the Bible says God is personal. It also shows that God is near, or imminent. Though He is transcendent and separate from His creation, He is also a God who is near to His creation, and specifically the people He made. He had a close personal relationship with them, face to face. God also takes care of His creation. 
He provided everything Adam and Eve needed to live, Genesis 2:16. This shows he is kind, compassionate and loving. He provided food, a garden, beauty and more for Adam and Eve to survive, and joy and relate to him personally as they walk together in perfect fellowship. God is the lawmaker in Genesis 1-2. Genesis 2-16-17, The Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may freely eat, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for on the day that you eat from it you will certainly die. God made one rule and told it to Adam, who in turn, was responsible to tell Eve. Thus, God has the authority and ability to make the rules. The text also reveals something about God in creation. There is God, and the Spirit of God in Genesis 1. This is a hint at the plurality in the singular God. The conversation God has regarding the creation of mankind is also insightful, let us make man in our image. God was not talking to the angels, but himself. In addition, the word used for God in Genesis 1 is also important, Elohim. This is the plural form of the general word for God, El, in Hebrew. This word can be used for false gods, but every time it is used of God, singular words are used in connection to it. While the doctrine of the Trinity or triune nature of God was not completely revealed until later, one can see that the genesis of this truth is in Genesis. God is also a God of order, detail, and beauty. The way the creation account is structured, with forming and then filling what was created. Look at the animals, plants, trees, and humans and there is a great variety. There are colors so vivid that it amazes our senses. God is the greatest artist, for He is the true beholder of beauty, because He created it. B. The Fall. Everything was very good at the end of creation, Genesis 1:31. But the serpent, possessed by Satan, entered the Garden of Eden, deceived Eve and she ate of the forbidden fruit. She also gave some to Adam, who was with her, Genesis 3 1-6. This brought sin and death into the world. But, God did not automatically judge his creation. Adam and Eve hid as God was walking in the garden and called out to Adam, Genesis 3 9. God asked, Where are you? He was giving them an opportunity to repent. God is patient and not willing that any should perish, 2 Peter 3 9b. God is patient with sinners. We see this throughout the Bible, with the Amorites, Genesis 15:16, with sinful Nineveh, a pagan Gentile nation, Jonah, with his own chosen people Israel as seen throughout the Bible, and more. But the problem is that humans count God's patience with his approval of their sin, or his inability to judge their sin. But God is patient as 2 Peter 3 9a states. But, did God know what they did? The questions God asked were not because he did not know where they were, or what they did. God is omniscient. God knows all things actual and potential. This will become clearer as he reveals himself throughout history and scripture. God is Savior. He provided the sacrifice for their sin. Only a Savior can do such a thing. This corresponds to the other character qualities or attributes of God. He seeks to save those who are lost. God keeps His Word. Though God is patient, He said He would judge Adam and Eve and He did. The potential for death became a reality. Their sin separated them from God, but it also caused the death clock to start ticking. Though they would die hundreds of years later, they died. God judged, Adam, Eve and the serpent. Therefore, God is also the judge. Why? Because He is just, and in His justice, He must judge sin. This becomes clearer in the next section. One last aspect we see is that God promises one will come to from Eve, who will judge the serpent in an ultimate final way. God in a mysterious way here, says someone is coming. See, the flood. The world became so corrupt that God flooded the entire earth, 
Again showing his power. God is judge. God had the ability and authority to flood the earth. This shows that he has power over his creation and that all humanity is accountable to him. This was the second universal judgment in Genesis. The first was with Adam and Eve. God makes promises and can be trusted. God has already shown himself to keep his word, but in Genesis 6-9, we find that God promises, or makes a covenant, to never flood the earth again. He signifies this by putting his bow in the clouds, or sky. A bow and arrow were weapons of warfare in the ancient world, and to put one's bow up, was to put away a weapon of destruction. As stated, God is just. Because he is just, and judge, in his justice, or righteousness, he must judge sin. Justice is moral equity. That is, everyone is to be treated in the same way, based on God's character and standard. Sin is the opposite of this. God cannot merely wink his eye at sin. Any judge, who sets free a guilty criminal, without proper recompense or payment, is an unjust and unrighteous judge. God is not an unjust judge. Yes, he is patient and doesn't always judge immediately. Yes, before Jesus, he overlooked the times of ignorance, Acts 17:30. but he is still the God of justice and the judge. D. Abraham. Up to Genesis 12, God dealt with all of humanity, but in Genesis 12:1, the narrative focuses in on one person, Abram, who becomes Abraham. God calls him out of Yor of the Chaldees and makes an unconditional covenant with him. This is the next step in God's unfolding plan of redemption. Through one man, and his lineage, God will bless the world. Connected to this is the promise of a son who will be born. Sarah didn't believe, but the questions is asked, is there anything too hard for the Lord? The natural answer is no. Because of whom he is, he can do what he wants and if he says an elderly couple will have a son, it will happen. We also learn that God's timing is not our timing. God promised Abram slash Abraham a son, when he was 75 years old, Genesis 12:4. Isaac was not born until 25 years later, when Abraham was 100 years old, Genesis 21:5. Application, I need to make an application. God's timing is difficult for all of us. We pray for a job, a spouse, a friend, family member, salvation of someone, direction, healing from something, or any number of things. We hope and trust God will answer, but He doesn't. Then we wait. And wait. And at times. Wait more. It may be days, weeks, years and more, or we may never see an answer to the prayer. Why? Because God's timing is not our timing. Trust Him. Why? God is faithful. This is something else we see in the life of Abraham. God continues to keep His promises because He is faithful. He has integrity and it is this aspect of His character that brings joy and struggle. It is seen in Abraham's life, and we also see it in our own. Application, though His timing is not ours, His faithfulness is. E. The Exodus. Abraham's descendants ended up in slavery in Egypt, as God said they would, Genesis 15:13. but God keeps His promises and was near to them even though he felt far away. We learn a great deal about God in the book and event of the Exodus. He chose Moses to go back and free them, and it was during Moses' call we learn. Exodus 3 7 8 a, And the Lord said, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt, and have heard their outcry because of their taskmasters, for I am aware of their sufferings. So I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians, and to bring them up from that land to a good and spacious land, to a land flowing with milk and honey. Once again, God is Savior, and near, and has a close relationship with His chosen people. He personally heard their cry and knew their sufferings. Another way to put it, is God is a rescuer. He rescued His people from bondage. Application, 
This is critical for those who are in some form of bondage, drugs, alcohol, pornography, the homosexual lifestyle, etc. When we cannot break free, God in His power, can break that sin, that cycle, or that temptation. Again, God is imminent, or near. F. The Ten Commandments and the Law. After God freed His people, He brings them to Mount Sinai and gave them a two-way covenant, or the Mosaic Covenant. This is also known as the Law. The Ten Commandments, or Law, are based on His character. These gave God's expectations of His people, after having rescued them. What does one see in the Ten Commandments? The first set of commands deal with their relationship to God. The second part deals with their relationship to each other. First, God demands exclusive allegiance. The Israelites were to have no other gods in the place of, in front of, or next to the true and living God. God wanted their complete worship alone. He commands them to treat Him with honor or respect. Don't blaspheme His name, which is a reference to His character. Again, He takes care of His people, by giving them rest. In contrast to their slavery in Egypt working daily, in His goodness, He gave them a day of rest. Then He addresses how they are to treat each other, within the family, regarding violence, sexual practices, thievery, slander and covetousness. Why are these evil in His sight? Because they are against His character. God is honorable and expects His people to honor Him and their parents and each other. God is the one who determines when someone dies in lives. To take another's life is to take his right upon oneself. It is also an attack on the image of God, that he put within man originally. Murder is an attack on God. God is pure, and sexual immorality goes against his moral purity. God is the provider, and to steal is to say that he has not given me what I need. God is a God of truth, and to lie, slander or give false testimony goes against his character. God is just and provider, and to covet material things or a position, or anything is unjust and slanders God. The rest of the law gives numerous regulations, 614 in total according to Jewish tradition, much of which is based on God's character and how relationships should be done. Next, he declares his character in Exodus 34. This was a time to renew the covenant that was broken, while Moses was with the Lord on the mountain. Exodus 34 1-9, Then the Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in faithfulness and truth, who keeps faithfulness for thousands, who forgives wrongdoing, violation of his law, and sin, yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, inflicting the punishment of fathers on the children and on the grandchildren to the third and fourth generations. And Moses hurried to bow low toward the ground and worship. Then he said, If in any way I have found favor in your sight, Lord, please may the Lord go along in our midst, even though the people are so obstinate, and pardon our wrongdoing and our sin, and take us as your own possession. There is much here. God is compassionate and merciful. We have seen this already and now God specifically tells His people. God is also patient or slow to anger. Again, we have seen this. He also abounds in faithfulness and truth. He is not just faithful and true, but abounds in these attributes, or character qualities. He is the one who forgives. This was clear since the Garden of Eve and Adam and Eve sin. Yet, He is also just and judge and will punish those who are guilty. The next phrase about inflicting punishment to the third and fourth generations is not about generational curses. It refers to the implications of His judgment for those who are against Him. This goes back to the second commandment of making no idols, Exodus 24-6. It is a Jewish figure of speech contrasting His judgment and mercy, with the emphasis on His mercy. In addition, this passage became the foundation for others who spoke of His character in the rest of the Bible. Next is the most important set of verses for the Jewish people, the Shema. 
Shma or Shama means listen or hear in Hebrew and is more than just casual listening, but paying attention to what is said. Deuteronomy 6 4-5, Hear, Israel. The Lord is our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Here, God reveals something that has been known all along, but is emphasized. There is only one true God. However, this God has plurality within Him. Wything Hebrew, there are two words for one. One word, Yahid, is used for something that is singular, or only one, such as, one pen, one computer, one building, etc. The other word in Hebrew, Ahad, means one, but within a cluster. One bunch of bananas. One family, father, mother, one or more children. One congregation or church. There is plurality within unity. The word for one in the Shema, is Ahad, thus, within the one God, there is plurality, or plurality within unity. This is not explained further, but important to know. Application What was Moses' response to God's self-revelation of his character? Worship. Bowing down in the Old Testament is the picture of worship. It is humbling oneself in the presence of God. Moses could do nothing but worship the Lord when he understood who this God was. What is our response? It should be the same. Therefore, we go to the Word of God to learn about who He is. G. Judges and the Times of the Kings God provided for His people and judged them during the times of the judges. They repented. Then He provided a Savior to rescue His people from the oppression of their enemies when they sinned against Him. This continually shows how patient He was with His people. It also showed His justice and righteousness. During the times of the kings, we again see God providing a rescuer through David. Saul failed and David won the battle against Goliath and became king of Israel. Under David and Solomon, God blessed his people. He is a God who blesses. He blessed the obedience of David, extended to Solomon in a time of peace for Israel. This blessing was based on obedience to the law. But, nonetheless, God is a God of blessing. He gives good and perfect gifts from above, James 1:17. H. Wisdom Literature There is much also in the wisdom literature of Job, Song of Solomon. There are three things I want to highlight, the fear of God, God is the giver of wisdom, and God's omnipresence. These are clear throughout these books. First, the fear of the Lord is emphasized, particularly in the Proverbs. What is this? God is a God who should be feared. Yes, respect is included, but this has to do with dread, awe, and the fact that He is not one to be treated in a trivial way. How does this correspond to theology? Because of whom He is, our response should be appropriate. Moses worshipped, as we should. We also respond in respect and honor to him, because we love him for what he did, but also because we don't want to break his heart, and because we have a healthy fear of him. Second, God is the giver of wisdom. God gives wisdom because he is wise. Job 9 4, 32-8, Psalm 111-10, Proverbs 9-10, Ecclesiastes 2:26, and more declare these truths. What is wisdom? It is skill at life and the ability to do what God wants us to do. Wisdom is also knowing what to do in the specific situations we are in. This truth spills over into the New Testament, naturally. Question, do you need wisdom? Ask God. James 1 5, But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. Third, God is omnipresent. While the fact that He is the Creator makes this necessary, wisdom literature refers to this. One example is Psalm 139 7-8, Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there, if I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you are there. 
we cannot escape him. Fourth, one truth we learn in the book of Job is that God is in control of the suffering we face. It is about theodicy, which is how to connect God's justice to the evil in the world. Other aspects of wisdom literature, and other parts of scripture, confirm this, and that God either ordains our pain and problems, or allows them, for his own purposes. However, at least some of those reasons we may not know, never know, nor understand. At the end of the book of Job, God never told Job why he went through what he went through. God also said that even if he tried to explain, Job would not understand, Job 38-40. Fifth, a truth associated with number four, is that God does test his people. We see this with Abraham in Genesis 22 and Isaac. We see this in Job, and also in Psalm 17 3-5, to name a few. There are various reasons for his testing, but most often it is for us to see where our allegiance is, for God or against Him? Application, perhaps you are going through difficulties right now. Maybe you do not understand what is happening or why it is happening. It could be that you have even searched your heart and know there is no known sin in your life, and you are deeply hurting. Take heart. You can trust the Lord, which is another truth that is reaffirmed in wisdom literature. You may not understand and may never know why, but you can know that there is a purpose and God has it under His control. Pray, stay focused on Christ as best as you can, accept things from His hand and do what He tells you to do through His Word, and by His Spirit. I know it is not easy. Ask Him to give you the grace and strength to persevere, because one reason He allows or purposefully brings difficulty into our lives, is to show us how weak we are, so we then depend on His power. Also, continue to search your heart and ask Him what He wants you to learn, and where your allegiance is. Next, we read the beginnings of the theological theme of God as a warrior king. Psalm 18, Psalm 26-9, and Psalm 35 are a few examples of the psalmist's use of poetry to display God preparing for war. This became the seeds of some of the messianic views that are expanded on in the prophets, but seen in wisdom literature. Seventh, over and over, you read the psalmist cry out to God for an answer to the situations he faces, and he is assured that God answers prayer. It may not be in the way he expects, or in the time he expects, but God does answer, in his time, in his way, for his glory and purpose. Last, God is declared to be the ruler of Israel and the Gentile nations. This too is expanded upon in the prophets. Psalms 93-99 are a few examples of God as the ruler. While he presently rules the world in one sense, there is also a look forward to when he will rule Israel and the nations through the Messiah, Psalm 2. I, the prophets. The prophets prophesied and wrote roughly around 800 to 430 BC. The prophets were sent by God to the northern and southern kingdoms, to call them back to the Lord, to warn them of judgment, to repent and follow Him in His covenant, Mosaic, to worship Him properly, and more. I call them covenant enforcers. You have the prophets outline in the Old Testament section previously. God reveals more about Himself and His plan through the prophets. Isaiah talks about the suffering servant in various passages, such as Isaiah 53, which is a reference to the Messiah. God's plan for Israel and the nations, or Gentiles, is also expanded upon more in Isaiah, Daniel, Ezekiel and more. There are a few aspects of the prophets I want to focus upon. First, is the holiness of God. Isaiah 6 1-3, In the year of King Uzziah's death I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of His robe filling the temple. Seraphim were standing above him, each having six wings, with two each covered his face, and with two each covered his feet, and with two each flew. And one called out to another and said, Holy, 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 is the Lord of armies. The whole earth is full of his glory. The Bible declares that God is holy. Yes, it was revealed before this, 
Leviticus 11:44, 19-2, and the Jews understood this. But here in Isaiah 6, in Isaiah's vision of God, His holiness is placed as primary in His character qualities. He is separate from sin, pure, and there is no darkness in Him, for He is light. This is a major topic, but the holiness of God is the only attribute or character quality of God that is repeated three times. Within the Hebrew language, there is no way to say, great, greater, greatest. The way something was emphasized was by repetition. When something is the greatest, it is repeated three times. Therefore, when God is called holy, 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 it is emphasizing an attribute that we must pay attention to about who He is. The Bible never says God is, love, love, love or mercy, mercy, mercy. Yes, He is both, and Scripture is clear on this, but only His holiness is emphasized to His degree. This means they, and we, must recognize and emphasize the holiness of God in our lives and ministry. God expects His people to be holy as well. Third, is the sovereignty of God. Though this truth is in the Bible before the prophets, there is a heavy emphasis on this truth in Daniel, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and the other prophets. God gives prophesies about the Messiah, Israel and at times the nations and the prophets. For example, in Daniel 2 and 7, God reveals the nations that will rule over Israel until the end of the age, when Jesus returns. Critics hate this and do all they can to try and deny that God is ruler over all the earth, all of humanity, and all of time. Fourth, is the wrath of God. God is a God of wrath. He judges sin and again, must do so, and in His wrath, He will judge His people and the nations. One example is the day of the Lord. This is a time when God will judge the world for its sin. This phrase is the most important phrase when it comes to the end times. Isaiah 13 9, Behold, the day of the Lord is coming, cruel, with fury and burning anger, to make the land a desolation, and He will exterminate its sinners from it. Ezekiel 33, For the day is near, indeed, the day of the Lord is near, it will be a day of clouds, a time of doom for the nations. Joel 1 15, Woe for the day! For the day of the Lord is near, and it will come as destruction from the Almighty. These are but a few examples of God's wrath in the future day of the Lord, which lasts longer than a day. Application, we as Christians must never give the false indication that God will not judge sin. False teachers who do not mention sin, nor God's wrath or justice, will find themselves faced with His full fury. Last is the compassion of God. Even in wrath, God is compassionate. Throughout God's dealings with His people Israel and His judgment upon them, His willingness to forgive them is evident. And not only them, but anyone who would call upon Him. God called people to repent, or turn away from their sin, and turn to Him. Ezekiel 33:11. Say to them, As surely as I live, declares the Lord God, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that the wicked should turn from their ways and live. Turn. Turn from your evil ways. For why should you die, O house of Israel? Conclusion, there is much more that could be discussed, and I hope you see now how important it is to have good biblical theology for yourself, the church, church leaders, the worship songs we sing, for making decisions, and more. But there is also one more factor we need to understand. God's attributes are not isolated traits of His character but facets of His unitary being. They are not things in themselves, they are, rather, thoughts by which we think of God, aspects of a perfect whole, names given to whatever we know to be true of the Godhead. To have a correct understanding of the attributes it is necessary that we see them all as one. We can think of them separately but they cannot be separated. 2. Don't forget this. While we can study each attribute separately, God's character, like ours, is a comprehensive whole. 
one aspect of his character is intricately woven into the others. For example, we cannot separate the love of God from his holiness. We cannot separate God's patience from his justice. We cannot separate the wrath of God from his compassion. If we do, then we create a God that we want, which is what all religions around the world have done. Nearly every theological heresy begins with the twisting, changing, or misunderstanding of the character of God. As we continue to study the T in theology, I want to challenge you to continue to study who God is for as long as you live. Study every aspect of theology for your life, and for your ministry and tell others the truth of what you learn. I want everyone to watch the next video. Video 2, https colon slash slash youtube.b slash uutko 4 ssbs why is God so different in the Old Testament than He is in the New Testament? Dash. 1. A. W. Tozer, The Knowledge of the Holy, New York, New York, Harper Collins, 1961, 67. 2. Tozer, 78.